Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to 20 Questions on Deadline. I'm Antonia Blythe, Senior Awards Editor. My guest today is Brian Cranston. He's probably best known for his role of meth dealer Walter White in the series Breaking Bad. He's also an Oscar-nominated multiple Emmy winner, and you've most recently seen him in the second season of the Showtime series Your Honor, in which he plays Judge Michael Desiato. In season one, the judge lied to protect his son following a hit-and-run accident that killed the son of a mob boss. He begins season two in jail, mourning the death of his own son who has been shot. Cranston co-owns a mezcal business with his Breaking Bad co-star Aaron Paul, and he has also written an autobiography called A Life in Parts. Brian Cranston, welcome to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you. I just watched the second season of Your Honor again, and I feel a sense of loss that there will not be a third season. Am I correct in feeling that way? I know that you've said quite firmly that you thought it was the last. Well, yeah, I I guess I don't know if I can say it confirmly, confirming that there isn't a third season. There's some there was some conversation about it. Um, And I think at this point, I'm very proud of the the two seasons that we did. And if that is all that we do, then I'm happy to walk away from that. Conversely, if someone approached me and uh, within the group and, you know, our showrunner or the, or Robert and Michelle King said, we have a, an idea. And if they pitched the idea and I was amazed, then it's like, Oh, okay. Then maybe we should do this. Uh, but it should be something that I think every story should be something that that amazes you to want to venture into doing something that's really very difficult and, you know, prolonged. I've been reading your book, A Life in Parts, and so enjoying it. Um, and I was reading the opening bit where you talk about filming a particular scene as Walter White in Breaking Bad and how difficult that was because you're lying in this in this bedroom with a, a woman who is essentially dying and you start to visualize your daughter Taylor in her place and I was thinking about that in terms of um, your acting aptitude and the way that you kind of share your own personal energy and your life with your roles So what would you say had been the biggest affecting 
seen an aspect of playing this character in your honor? Uh, the, uh, I guess the, the thing that is the most profound is, is uh, witnessing a, your own child about to die would be stunning. And it wasn't difficult for me to, to put myself in that position. And that's the, the risk that all actors do um, is to voluntarily be vulnerable emotionally and often physically um, to go into those places where they're, they are uncomfortable and undesirable and yet necessary in order to bring about the, the artistic completion of it. Um, and so there was a scene in the end of the first season when my son played by Hunter Duhan um, was shot and I'm witnessing this and just imagining the horror of that. And that, that propelled the whole second season for me. Without witnessing that uh, grotesque uh, murder, um, I don't think there would be enough, enough fodder, enough interest for me to, to want to pursue a second season, but there, there was. And Showtime, gratefully, um, accepted my idea with Peter Moffat that we should just continue to explore the, the, the depth of grief that that would be, that that would rot. And, and they were willing to, to do that. It was eviscerating watching you play out that grief at the beginning of season two. Uh, I certainly wondered watching it, what it took out of you. And again, that's sort of a through line to what you write about in your book, where you're recalling what you put into that scene as Walter White, because your daughter came into it. And, and what it means to you, obviously, to be a father. And when you start to think about how much your children or being a father means to you is when there's a crossover and and there's it's harder to separate your your work self from your real self it does it makes it makes for a, a more difficult experience but i think over the years you learn um, to be able to, if, if you're able to tap into your emotional treasure chest, as I call it, and pull out all the characteristics and idiosyncrasies of your personality, be it good or bad, it is a vulnerable place to be in. It is a very self-exposing position to, to be in. And the more you do it, though, the uh, the more it becomes second nature. It's like sometimes you see like nude models in a painting class, and it's like, wow, I'd I'd be so uh, wow, and they're like, yeah, whatever, you know. It's like, okay, I guess this person has done this so many times that it's just kind of normal to them. Uh, my 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 uncle Bob who is 93 years old, he lives at a nudist colony, a retirement nudist colony in Florida. And when I visit him, 
there's nude people all around. I'm not nude, but but they are. And actually, by looking around, I'm I'm very grateful that most people wear clothes in this world. Uh, <laughs> so um, I'm trying not to laugh over the top of you, and it's really difficult because that is hysterical. <laughs> and that's the truth. It's like, I, but I they're so used to it down there. They have no gumption to coming up to me. I'm sitting in a chair and a, and a person will come up to me and I have to immediately stand because I don't want that. I, that I'm at a different grade level. level. Yes. And, and I, I, uh, I will talk to a man or a woman and I'm finding reasons to divert my attention. I'll go, yeah, they're here. And I'll look off, you know, at a different direction to, as if I'm pontificating of a thought, you know, and it's like, no, I just don't really want to gaze too strongly. Um, so getting back to that, what what it means for so, me. Um, let's talk about the nudist colony more <laughs> as well. <laughs> Honestly, though, I do have to say, um, before you, you go back to what you were saying, I'm sorry, I do have to say that I really want you to please create some sort of show around this nudist colony for octogenarians yes <laughs> thank uh, you <laughs> uh, you know maybe a documentary maybe, yeah. maybe a little doc you know it's actually a really interesting idea naked seniors you know it kind of says it all there it sells itself naked seniors who wouldn't want to watch that um i think i think if you get as i have over four decades you get used to opening up and the more you open up and willing to show, Oh, you want, I need rage or I need jealousy or I need, you know, insecurity. I need whatever. Um, I get, I, I'm so comfortable, you know, comfortable. I'm so used to opening up that chest that it, it's not a difficult thing for me to do anymore. It's well oiled. It's uh, opens easy and I can tap into it. And play these characters that I'm attracted to, basically men who have complex problems in their life and are not complete people. You know, they're 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 distraught or they have, um, you know, uh, personality complexes that that uh, challenge their lives and and. And yet there's always something that I want to find in a character that that allows them to strive for something better or to reach for something more. Whether they ever get it or not is is not really that important. The, the importance, like in our own personal life, is the pursuit of happiness. Is the is that's what gets us up in the morning and pursuing happiness, pursuing accomplishment, pursuing love pursuing connection. That's what we want in our lives. Some people find it, some people don't, but it's, a, it's, it's um, ephemeral. It, it comes and goes in waves and, and you never know if it's around, you know, so you have to just get up every day and try your best. I first of all was thinking about what attracts you to people with as you put it, complex problems, um, to some extent, some personality disorder aspects to them. What is it just that that's an interesting 
character for an actor to play with a lot of meat to it? Or do you feel like there's a personal resonance you're drawn to it because the things that we tend to do in life are to work out something for ourselves. I think everyone, everyone would benefit from a, a, a good therapy. Uh, and, and a lot of people are afraid of it. I know when I was a boy, if you went to, if you heard that someone was going to a therapist, they were crazy. There was something wrong with that person. They're crazy. Fortunately, the stigma of that has diminished greatly. I don't think that it's completely gone away. But what I've found in therapy is, is so helpful. It's, it's opening up. Um, my wife and, and I have been going to therapy since before we were married, 34 years ago. That's incredibly unusual for that time. And, and to go... You're talking about couples therapy or individual therapy? Yeah, couples therapy. Actually, it was um, the 60s, if I may, regress for just a touch. The 60s was was an explosive decade. Everything was going, oh my God, don't trust this. We're in war, uh, peace, not war. Um, You know, the Kennedys were killed. Um, uh, The pill was invented. I mean, everything, acid, people, hippies, what is going on? Music just exploded with rock and roll. Everything exploded in the 60s. Sexual revolution opened up. In the 70s, it embraced that and kind of indulged in that. In the, in oh, we're going to do this and we're going to do cocaine and we're going to, I mean, it's like, oh, we're going to, it's very hedonistic period, you know, and, and style and look and music and stuff. And then the and then everybody kind of in the eighties you kind of went wow the seventies were crazy, and the eighties became the self help era, it really did. There were cautionary tales. AIDS came up, and it's like oh what what's going on? We gotta you know and 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 herpes and all these things that you're going well we oh these are we've got to really check into this and also. Um, Leo Buscalia, uh, Marianne Williamson, all these people who had the self-help seminars and the things you're starting to, you know, what is, what am I really doing here? What, what's my real purpose? Is there a greater journey for me to be on? Or am I just so self-centered that I can only see myself? And, and so that's the period that my wife and I were, met and were involved in. And we're like, hey, you want to go to the seminar? Yeah. And so it's like trying to open up, not all, you know, light a candle and, and chant, but it's like, you know, just experimenting on who we are and what we want out of life and, and introspective. And I think that was all good. And that's when we started going and it's, and we had, we still go, uh, if ever we feel we're running rough, you know, we go, we go do that. Um, I think in a way, my work is is very therapeutic. It really is. I, I get to play so many kinds of characters that allows me to explore in great depth um, a tremendous amount of, of um, platitudes of, of their lives and, and who these people are and, and what makes them tick, what makes them what holds them back, 
what what are they good at? What are they afraid of? You know, and delving into all those things, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a great gift for me. Is there anything that you have coming up that you can tell us about at this point? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm about to leave for Canada. I'm doing a movie with with uh, Allison Janney. Uh, I love Allison Janney. Love her. She and I are playing husband and wife to two teenage boys. And that's a movie called Everything's Going to Be Great. And when I first read it, it reminded me of a, of a movie I read many years ago, 12 years ago, maybe, called um, Little Miss Sunshine. Oh, of course. That I really loved. And I, I loved it so much that I went to the directors and I said, I'd love to be in this movie. And I was on Malcolm in the Middle at the time. And they said, well, uh, there's really no part for you. Uh, and I, because Steve Carell was already cast, Greg Kinnear was already cast. Those were the only two roles that I could have really played. And then I said, what about Greg Kinnear's book agent? And they said, it's a one day role. And I said, great, then I'll be done fast. But it taught me a lot. Um, that, that movie was so well scripted and well executed uh, in production and, and performance that audiences just fell in love with it. And by doing so, uh, I was a part of that, a very, very, very small part of that. And what I realized from that, I would get comments from people saying, my God, you were so great in that movie. You were, un oh man, were you good. You were so good in that movie. And I'm, I'm thanking them on the outside and in the inside, I'm thinking, how can they say that when I had, it was a simple little slice. It was a little roll. I did my job. I filled a slot and I didn't go outside of that. I mean, I had a pitch. I wanted to be indifferent to Greg Kinnear's point of view. And that was attractive to, to the directors. I said, I, I think he should... It shouldn't be that big a deal to him. And it's, it means everything to Greg Kinnear's character. And that, that contrast, that opposing force um, was, was workable. So I did my job and fine. But what I realized is that, you know, a rising tide raises all boats. And it did. And everybody loved that movie. And by extension, they thought, that I was great when it really didn't deserve accolades like that. Well, you're being very humble, but um, I understand your point. I really do. That film, I think I broke a rib almost laughing so hard. It's also so moving, but it's such a, it's a wonderful film. And now I want to go and watch it again. <laughs> it really is. And that's, that's what we're doing in Canada. We're shooting. Everything's going to be great. And it's, it's sweet and beautiful and funny and tragic and all those things wrapped into one. And um, I, I just adore it. Well, are you ready to answer the 20 random questions? Sure. Okay, let's do it. All right. What was the first lesson you learned on a set? Don't be late. Um, many of the things, you know, it, it's like if someone said to me, what are, the, what are the most important things you can do? And I said, be on time, know your work, be respectful. Um, 
And if all those are in place and you have talent, you may have a career. But if you if those other things are in place, I remember I got a job on Days of Our Lives, which is a soap opera. And this was back, this was one of my first jobs. So it was 1979, I think, or 1980. And I, back in those days, you set an alarm clock. And apparently I forgot to pull out the pin of the alarm clock. And I slept through it. I slept through when I was supposed to get up and get up. And I woke up and I thought, oh, oh, I feel good. I woke up before the alarm. Oh, fantastic. I look at the clock. Huh, no, that can't be right. I looked at my watch. Oh, oh, and I panicked. And I just had the worst day. And I panicked and panicked and ran to the studio driving. I, I lied that I got a flat tire. I was so embarrassed. And everything was just, it was just bad. And 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 every moment that I was on the set, I feel, felt like I was behind. And then I, and even though I was apologize, apologizing profusely, I still felt that ah, just, it just, it just felt terrible. And so I don't, being late is just not a good thing. Not a good thing. That's happened again because of other circumstances, but um it's, it's it's so that being friendly, being kind, and knowing your work, going in prepared, coming in with ideas. Um, that's the thing I would tell young actors. What's the best advice you ever received? I don't know if it's, I, I don't know if there was any specific thing that any one person ever told me. The thing that's coming to mind now is is really for my is really how to live. Years ago, I uh, when I forty years ago, I was doing another soap opera in New York, and um, I worked with a, a person who became a dear friend of mine, James Kybert, and he he worked on a he studied at the Alexander technique, which is a, a way of breathing and stance and, and presence and, and um, opening up and, and being understanding. I mean, it's very, very in, intense, but, but curious and interesting uh, discipline. And Alexander had a quote saying himself, if you only do what you know, you will never do what you don't know. And I think that's really good. And I think it's it really thought about it again, because I think I'm going through that right now, that for the last 25 years, I've been working nonstop. And while that's great, and I've enjoyed the work, and it's been fun and rewarding in many different levels, um, at some point, I, I realized that I may be moving from one bubble to another bubble to another bubble. And what life experience have I really had in the past 25 years? It's been experiences, tremendous experiences, but in, a, in rarefied air, in, in extraordinary circumstances. So I, I'm, I'm getting to a point where I, I want to make a change and make an adjustment to my life to seek more balance. And... I think in the long run, it'll, it'll make me a more interesting actor as well, because 
I think I, I need more life experience to fill the tank, uh, to, to have new ideas and new approaches to the work that would be more interesting for me and, and less redundant or, or derivative of what I've already done. Well, as much as I'm, I'm hearing that you want to open up your life experience and fill the tank, as you put it, I really hope that you continue to write because I so enjoyed reading your memoir. So sometimes I feel like I talk to creative people and doing a different creative thing, like choosing a different stream of creativity can somehow feed the other ones. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Was that your experience writing the book? It was, it, 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 yes, indeed. And, and I encourage everyone to write, um, not necessarily to seek a, a, a result of commerce, but just a, a result of, of expression and to be able to get thoughts out on paper. Um, whether it's for your own enjoyment or others is yet to be seen. That's not the most important thing. It's to get it out and to be able to be creatively expressive. And writing the book was was just that. It was cathartic for me, and I I enjoyed I enjoyed telling those stories. And I I think I have one more book in me as far as that kind of thing and and a memoir to take me to my my elder years. Um, before I stop writing about that, but I've recently also, you know, I enjoy others, uh, Kevin Pollack's book, uh, which was really great. Um, and also I just finished John Cryer's book, uh, which was very entertaining as well and, and funny and, and, uh, illuminating. Um, so I enjoy reading other memoirs, uh, as well as the experience of writing my own. What about what's a part you always wanted to play, whether you've actually already played that part or you have yet to play it? I'd like to play a, a role. Um, well, one, one is, is more of a general sense. I want to do a, a Broadway musical because it scares the daylights out of me. Um, so I'll probably do that. <laughs> That's your Alexander technique coming into play. Yeah, exactly right. It's like uh, I'm, I need to take chances to go into something that is not my comfort zone and see what happens. And it may be that it's, uh, I'm not, I don't like it. I remember I was asked to do um, a narration of a book called uh, The Things We Carried. Tim O'Brien is an author and I, and I heard about this book years ago and I wanted to read the book and I, and I hadn't read it yet. And then Playtone, Tom Hanks's company, called and said, "Would you? We're doing a bunch of um, recordings of books about war heroes for Veterans Day, and and the proceeds would go to veterans causes. Would you like to participate?" And I said, "You know that sounds really good. Uh, yes." And they said, "Well, here's a couple books that you can choose from that hasn't haven't been tapped yet." And I saw Tim O'Brien's The Things They Carried. And I went, oh, that one. And so it's also very telling because I finally read the book because it was connected to a job. I didn't give myself permission to read it just for my own pleasure. 
which told me something about myself as well, that I'm locked in to the work mode. And, and that's also a little, it was a little bit of a caution sign. Anyway, we scheduled this, this is during Breaking Bad years. And, um, and I, and getting into the, the booth to read the book, the entire book. And I realized, oh, I'm not really that good at this. This is, this is much more difficult than I thought. And I have listened to a lot of books on tape in Audible. And uh, I really enjoy them. I can, on long drives or walks, I, I really do enjoy them. So, and some of the readers, if it's not the author, are, are exceptionally talented. And that wasn't me. I realized I don't have the talent to do this or the the ability and and perhaps I I I think I have some um a learning issue you know I and I and I think I I invert lines and things like that I have some kind of Oh you have neurodiversity? I think so. Because I've never been diagnosed. You about, do you, didn't you say in your book that there was some mild ADHD that Yeah. Yeah, so that would fit because there's quite often more than one neurodivergent thing in tandem. Dyslexia or whatever, yeah. And I and I, I the the person the engineer would say, okay, can we read that sentence again? And I go, oh, okay. Why is there an emphasis you wanted, or no? You just inverted this. You t- you left out this word. You changed that word, and it was like I did, and I wouldn't even know. And so it took me twice as long to read that book as it would normally. And I even asked at one time, I said, you know what, guys, I think you're going to find someone much, much better at doing this than me. Why don't I step aside and let, and they said, no, 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 no. We'll just take the time. Please don't, you know, leave us now. And I said, okay. So we slogged through it and I actually haven't listened to it um, since doing it. So I hope it's good, but... Um, well, I, I'm immediately going to go listen to it because I love the sound of your voice. I'm not just blowing smoke, but it, you've got a great voice, of course. Um, and I'm obsessed with Audible and all my audiobooks. One that I love, absolutely adore, is um, Anthony Bourdain reading his own Kitchen Confidential. Oh. It's just you a read really... it after he passed. <laughs> I had read it before and then I read it again and again and I might be a bit addicted because I just I love his his writing but to hear him read it um especially after he passed was it's um some melancholy yeah it's such a talent such a good reader um so what's the most fun you've ever had on a set uh, that one I do know. Um, it's on a movie called Why Him? Um, James Franco, uh, Zoe Deutsch, J- uh, uh, Keegan-Michael Key, Megan Mullally. Uh, we just had a blast. We just, just every day we it was already a funny script and every day we'd go and we'd say the funny lines in the script and then we'd go off and we'd improv and make up things and, and trying to crack each other up. And, and it's like, so every day was just a joy. And I love those people that I worked with. 
And um, so it was, it was an easy, it was an easy call that one, you know, I mean, I look at back at, at a lot of the things I've done and while I have tremendous respect and, and gratitude for doing them, it wasn't necessarily the most fun on the set. You know, you're, you're just like, ah! could be so physically demanding or so intense and, and heartbreaking and, you know, it's, your body goes through that. And I too, truly believe that your body doesn't know if you are, if the person is make believe pretending that, that there is this emotional damage happening and fear and anger and rage and what all the, or if it really is going through that, you, you still have the, that exhaustion afterward. Well, you know, why him was this, that's a very simple premise of a, of my character uh, not liking uh, my daughter's boyfriend and take it from there. And it was like, okay. And so we, I, it was a good experiment and I, I was, I was hesitant on taking the role for a long while. And then I talked to Paul Rudd and he said, trust in John Hamburg, a very funny guy and knows our director, writer, director. And he knows what he's doing. And I did trust him. Um, but I, I, and then the fact that you were, you were expected to bring a lot more of the comedy with you every day was the nice surprise that it was like, oh, this is how these are done. This is so much fun. Let's do it again. What about then the films that make you cry or TV shows? Well, all, I think the first one that made me cry back when I was a boy was a, a movie called Brian's Song. Um, which was uh, which got every man to watch it because it was about football, um, and it was about uh, Brian Piccolo, who was a football player with the um, with the Chicago Bears, and he had a terminal illness, and it was about his um, his friendship with with another player on the Bears called Walter Payton, and. Uh, and men bonding and to have, I, I remember, um, remember watching it and James Kahn and Billy D. Williams in Brian's song when I was, I think I was 14 or something like that when it came out. And it was about these, these two grown men, athletes who, um, were like brothers. One was black, one was white, and they 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 bonded. And it was like, you know, the turbulent '60s and the race riots and things like that. And it was like to see this movie come out. And after James Caan's character dies, spoiler alert, um, Billy D. Williams, as Gail Sayers, goes up to the microphone, and in his own beautiful way says these words i loved brian piccolo and it was like to to see grown men athletes machismo say i love another man and you know it was in the context and what it meant nobody was making fun of that Nobody was pointing fingers going, oh, or I mean, in, in the in the 
ignorant, ignorant times, uh, everybody was like, oh my God. And just your, your tears came out and you, and I realized at that moment, oh, so yeah. So relationships are different in all different kinds of ways. And wow, to be able to say to another human being that you love them without having any connotation that carries a weight of, of shame or guilt or, or hidden secrets or anything like that. Um, that was the, really the first, the first time that it really struck me. What about the character you've played that's most like you? Um, well, I, uh, why him carried something like that? Because it was father of a daughter um, and being overly protective. I mean, I wonder if what my wife would say would be would be the most the character most like me. Let me just ask her real quick. <laughs> Are you there? She didn't have an immediate answer either, so we're going to have thinking to think about it. All right, brilliant. Uh, what is your most quoted role and what do fans tend to say to you? Uh, it's definitely Walter White. Several different iconic phrases, I guess. I am the danger, say my name. Are the two most common rephrases. What's your toughest challenge yet? I think it's, I think it's, um, balance. I think it's, it's always been finding, finding balance. And I think we were talking about that earlier about working so much and, you know, doing all this. And then like, if someone, I, I honestly, I write, I direct, I produce and I act and I have no other, I have no time to do anything else. So someone, if someone says, well, what do you do? What's your hobby? I go, oh, I don't have a hobby. None, no hobbies. Um, do you collect things? Nope. Do you, you know, make sure you, you play golf? No, don't play golf. Don't, you know, nope, 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 nope. I'll go to the gym and I'll run and I'll do things. But that's because I need to and, and need to maintain and all that. No. I don't have that. And I, and I, you know, I know you might appreciate this. I don't, I don't know how to cook. Um, I don't cook either. It's you don't cook either? No. Well, I figured you might because you of the Bourdain reference, but. Oh no, I just like listening to that. I like don't to... have a clue. <laughs> um, one of the things that I'm, I'm going to do with my wife is I'm, I'm going to, after I turn 70, which is only three years from now. Uh, I'm going to push the pause button on my career and go away to a foreign country for about six to eight months minimum, immerse myself in the language, the culture, and the life. It's not a vacation, it's living. And we're going to rent a house and we're going to go on bike rides and we're going to make new friends and I'm going to learn how to cook and I'm going to learn this language. And I, I want to read, um, you know, a, at least some of the classic books that I've always threatened to read, which I, like I said before, I, I haven't given myself permission to because I'm always, I've got to 
progress and achieve and what else can I do? And I have this opportunity. I don't know when it's going to end. So I need to go. And so now I think instead of waiting for it to end on its own, I'm going to push the pause button on it and do it myself. I think this is a genius idea, not because I ever want you to stop doing what you're doing, but because everyone should have that experience. Have you read A Year in Provence by Peter Mayle? No, but I'm going to write that down. I think you might get a kick out of it. And I think that you might feel inspired, given your writing history, to write something about this eight months away. So you've picked where you're going. Yeah, I think somewhere in France. Oh, how funny that I said that then. Yeah. About a year in Provence. I love sharing book recs. I'm also going to read the ones that you mentioned earlier. So <laughs> um, I also wanted to ask you, what are your guilty pleasures in terms of what you watch on TV? See, there it is again. Gu I, I don't know. It's not guilty at all. I would watch. Uh, I'm a big baseball fan. but. I don't go to that many games anymore uh, uh, once in a while. And, uh, but I, I, I'll watch it on television. Uh, I'm a Dodger fan, the Los Angeles Dodgers, and always have been. And, um, you know, so I'll watch the occasional baseball or football game or basketball game or something, but not, I'm, I'm, and I'm always doing something else. It's never, Everything is aside and I'm just watching the game. I'm answering emails and looking up and it's like, I feel like I have to be productive in some way while watching a sporting event. Well, I feel like this year or eight months away is a, a really good reset then, because I think you, like most people really struggle to actually just be rather than do right and that's it's so from what you've said at least it's such a a rare thing for people to not be doing something while they're doing everything else or you know just to sit yeah i i'm not i'm not good at idle uh, idleness and and in fact and i don't say that in a in a way of i'm always going i i wish i could just sit. I mean, and I can for a while to appreciate nature or something, what, the simplicity of that and the beauty of that. Um, I can certainly get inspired by that, but I want to then go for a hike into it. I want to kind of explore, you know, it's not, not just looking, but I want to go further. What about who would play you in the biopic of your life? Maybe Domino Gleason or someone Oh, that's a good choice. Irishy and fair-haired. That is a great choice. Yeah, so maybe Not so. Not bad for off the top of your head. <laughs> I'd be honored. Um, He's such a good actor. He is fantastic. What is your, uh, on your karaoke playlist? Okay, so uh, a confession is that I've never done karaoke. Remember, remember I said I don't have a hobby? Yeah, I also... I also yeah, I'm too busy. Uh, uh, so I've never, I've never done it. Wow. Okay. And that's something. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe uh, that's one that you can do in France when no one will know. <laughs> oh, it's not even that. It's not even like oh no, I don't want. It's just like I've never You're too busy. 
yeah, I've never been in a position that's like, we're going to go do karaoke. Oh, I'm writing that night or I'm, I'm out of town or what, you know, it's like, I'm, I've just never, yeah, it, it is. It's like my busyness is so extreme that um, and it's fun. And so that's what is the disguise of it is that it's fun and I engage and I enjoy it. Like right now, I just finished producing Your Honor and acting in it. We're now we're talking about it and promoting it. I'm co-writing a, a sequel to a movie I did with Kevin Hart and, and uh, Nicole Kidman, uh, which I will also act in. Tell us more about that. Yeah, it's, it's called The Upsides. Um, it's the, we did a movie called The Upside, and um, it did incredibly well. And so we were asked to do another one. And, and through a set of circumstances, I came around to having some ideas that I wanted to, to include. And they asked me if I wanted to be a, a, you know, a writer on this. So, so I have a writing partner and the two of us are cracking away and, and we're, we're doing it. We got That's it going. Exciting. Well, we'll have to get you in the karaoke room before you get... <laughs> out to the stage. I think, you know, if I were to do it, I, I think I would choose something that could be like comical that would, that would make people laugh as opposed to, Hey, let's listen to him and see how his voice is. I, I would probably just try to do something that's funny. Well, I wish I could be there for that. Uh, last one. What are your desert Island films or TV shows? Well, Assuming that there's, you know, a, a, a nice state-of-the-art theater on this desert yes. island. Yes, uh, weirdly, there's electricity. Yeah, weirdly, it's like, <laughs> oh, it's just, you're stuck there, but man, you're <laughs> The requisite godfathers have to be involved. It's just superb filmmaking. Um, Scorsese films. Um, Tarantino films, uh, and then also, you know, going back and doing, you know, uh, looking at um, Altman's and um, Truffaut, go back and do that. Kurosawa uh, is another filmmaker I love. Um, and, and then hopeful films. You know, I would do, you know, because um, <laughs> you're on a deserted island. And <laughs> so some some hopeful films like It's a Wonderful Life, perhaps, belongs on that. Um, yeah. I don't know, a, a television series. I don't, you know, I watch my own stuff once and then I, I don't really watch it ever again. Really? Um, yeah, hmm. I've only seen every episode of Breaking Bad once, with the exception of the pilot, which when you're promoting it, you're witnessing it more than once, but that's it, just once, every every episode once. Same thing with Malcolm in the Middle. It was like, oh, that's good. Oh, that worked. Oh, they took a different take than I thought. Oh, moving on. I'm moving on, moving on, moving on. And I think that's the, the theme of this conversation, isn't it? It's like, I'm on this little, uh, this wheel. But the, it's not a hamster wheel because it doesn't go in circles. It's actually progressive, which is what makes it so 
so disguisable is that, it, oh, I'm going in different places all the time. Um, and yet it's, it's becoming familiar territory. And if you only do what you know, you never do what you don't know. And I have to put myself in a position to, to explore the unknown. I think as adults, we so rarely sit and take stock in a way like that or sit in silence or review things in quite that way. And I think it's something we should all do, but very difficult to actually sit with where you are in your life in some ways. Well, I would say two things. Um, first, I'm very fortunate to be able to make a move like this. Um, and I'm not, I'm financially secure. So there's no, there's no risk of any sort in that, in that realm. Secondly, it's that it is the road less traveled for sure, which is another book from the eighties. But the other, the other thing that, that as far as the reset is concerned is that I do know this and it's human nature. As we age, we tend to remove uh, the things out of our realm that we thought about, but we don't really do. We, we just kind of hold it close. So the circle of what we do in our lives is small and containable and safe, and it feels safe within us. And so that gets smaller and smaller and smaller as we get older and older and older. And I want to go against that and push that push out and say, let's do something that that is really unknown. We don't know what we're going to expect when we go to there, my wife and I. We also don't know, and we've talked about this, is like, it's not a vacation. We're going to be living there. What is our relationship going to be like when we see each other every single day, all day, you know, and whoa, what is that like? In a new environment without new your environment. usual routines to go to yes. or any, any, yes. anything to lean on. Yes. And, and an unfamiliar, we're not in our home. We're not, we're, everything's new and different. And the language is a challenge. And, the, you know, and what, how do we communicate and how making new friends, making new friends, you know, it's like, Wow. It's going to be awesome. You've got to write a book about it. Yeah. Well, Brian Cranston, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Thank I've you. really enjoyed this conversation. I have as well. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Antonia. Thank you for listening to 20 Questions on Deadline. For more episodes, subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts.